And we're reading from James's letter, the third chapter, the first 12 verses. And the subtitle is Taming the Tongue. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Those who are never at fault in what they say are perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by human beings. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword and can divide between flesh and spirit. Thank you for the words from that gospel reading this morning, which just show us how the tongue can speak words like Peter did, with well-meaning thoughts, but it can be just so very, very wrong. So, Lord, would you teach each one of us this morning through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. If you'd like to sit. So we're with James chapter 3 today, verses 1 to 12, continuing our series in James on taming the tongue. And um, Anthony uh, Everett should have been here to do this one this morning. And I felt when I knew that I was going to do this morning's one, oh my goodness, that is a hard one. And I think it is, isn't it? For every single one of us, that, that's a hard one. So in today's James reading, we're continuing to build on the themes of unity, 
and how important unity is within the body of Christ. We've discovered that James is concerned deeply with uniting the gospel in terms of scriptural belief and the way we live the life. In other words, faith and works. He's moved us through the whole of life attitudes towards worship and living in faith. Faith without works is dead. He's desperate to know that his people understand the importance to our witness of not segregating or diminishing other people because they are poor or marginalized, slaves, or indeed have quite enough. So he's generous across the whole level of who we are as people and what God has given to us in our lives to use for his glory. James wants unity. And this is important because the next part is what can bring disunity. If we live, as we've discovered earlier in James, by doing things that are wrong, living to the old nature, we are diminishing the power of the gospel to bear witness to others. We tear down the witness to the fact that God is indeed good. Nobody else is good. Only God is good, said Jesus. And indeed good, and that we belong to him. And if we belong to him, we're to demonstrate the life that's in him. So letting the spirit have control so that we allow him to bring the inner spiritual change in us is key. Letting that faith life flow out of our worship and into good and upbuilding actions is also key. So studying the scriptures is key. Letting the spirit have control so that we allow him to bring inner spiritual changes in us is also key. And letting that faith life flow out of our worship and into good and upbuilding actions is also key. So we come to the next part, taming the tongue, which is in James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, if you'd like to follow in your Bibles. The whole part of the passage is supposed to hang together here because there is no wisdom without the latter part of this chapter. So really we should be going to verse 18, we're not. So come next week, hear Archdeacon Joe on this subject and I'm sure she will be really good value on the subject of earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. James, true to his emphasis on a living faith, takes up his reference to speaking in chapter 1, verse 19. And then verse 26. And if you look at chapter 2 as well, you'll find reference in verse 12 there. And James expresses himself in a very direct way that is difficult to translate into English. Do not become teachers in great numbers is probably the better translation. The position of teacher was esteemed in the Christian community and was therefore attractive. And it could be dangerous to the church. Well-meaning but unqualified men or even self-righteous ones 
could seize the opportunities for teaching with dangerous results. That was kind of the atmosphere, that's what was going on. And teachers inevitably talk, but they do not all talk wisely or peaceably. James includes himself when he says that they will come under greater condemnation for what they say or teach. It's quite a scary one, that one, isn't it? James shows that our example is Jesus, and he is close to his master and has the same serious attitude that his master did. So in Matthew 12, verse 36, Jesus said this, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. And in verse 37, For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And Jesus is speaking here in the context of words spoken with either a godly theme or words spoken that come from either the flesh or the devil. Remember Paul's teaching about these three different sources of river that can flow through us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I just had this reflective thought this morning before I preached, and this isn't in my notes, but you know there was a movement uh, quite some years back which went back to the creative word of God in Genesis and how God spoke things into being. He opened his mouth, he spoke, and as he spoke, the creative power of God came out and formed and fashioned the world, the universe, everything that is, which is pretty powerful. We are in Christ. Therefore, we have the power when we speak, if we are speaking in the Spirit, to do something beautiful and creative. Conversely, if we don't, we have the power to bring quite a force of of hurt and destruction. I wouldn't go as far as some of those teachers of that particular ilk were going at the time, but I think it is very reflective thought to, to just dwell on how when God speaks and then how we speak in the power of the Holy Spirit. And prophecy, of course, comes into that realm as well. If we speak a true word of prophecy, and that actually is coming out of the heart of God, it has the creative power, because the word is spoken, to bring something to pass that God wants to come to pass. Conversely, again, God warns us that we should not say this word is from the Lord if it isn't. And it's dangerous, dangerous ground. So words are really, really important. In James chapter 2, verse 10, we see that James's motivation for speaking like this is that we all stumble. And he says he does too. He often does. James may already have the picture of the horse in mind here. And speech is the test case. If we learn to guard the words we speak and use language and attitude that builds up and doesn't tear down, then we become people who live in the realm of perfect actions. That sounds good, doesn't it? And perhaps we'll just be in that sometimes and out of it others, but we're moving in the right direction. We grow our perfect characters. It translates into who we are and how we move out in that living in Christian character. Even the teacher can learn, and if perfect, the teacher can bridle the tongue 
and not only the tongue, but the whole of the realm of impulse expressed through the body. James gives simple illustrations of what the perfect person is able to do. Strong winds suggest the violence of the impulses, which then that person is able to control. We all know those things, don't we, from within, that are things we find difficult. But as we grow more and more in love with him and more and more in self-awareness, we allow the spirit to touch us and to change us as we cooperate with him. You know, these prayers that say, oh, Lord, change me, oh, Lord, do this, and we don't take any actions whatsoever and expect him to do the whole job, that isn't going to work. We have to cooperate. We have will, and that's what God has given us. Now, the bridle and the bit and the small rudder can direct large objects because they themselves are controlled. But the unbridled tongue, though only the tiniest member of who a person is, can have large effects which continue without restraint. It boasts of great achievements done or promised. And like the rudder, it ought to be controlled by the will and you'll find that in verse 4. And further guided by reason, chapter 1, verse 26, and of course the word. But it's no more under control than a spark in a dry rushwood. We have seen many examples of fire surging through woodlands and destroying houses and killing people this summer with the extreme heat experienced both in our land, in Greece, Italy, Australia, and other places. And it was terrifying, wasn't it, just to see how small sparks could just keep resetting vast fires. That courageous people worked very hard to put out, and they did. And we thank God for all of those people this year who have fought fires. And sometimes they carried on months afterwards, continuing to douse down land with water. It went on and on and on. A tiny spark can kindle a forest fire, which may go on for weeks, go on smouldering for months. And speech is equally dangerous, and hence its effects run riot. A little book of heresy can set a church on fire. A whisper of gossip can inflame a city. The tongue is indeed a fire. An unrighteous word represents, not incorrectly, the Greek uh, meaning, the world of unrighteousness. It stains. It's hostile to God. And there are pictures given in John's Gospel that the world in miniature is represented by the tongue in our heads. The world in miniature is represented by the tongue in our heads. James goes on to think not only of the individual, but of humanity at large. The tongue inflames the cycle of nature. The wheel of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 23. It's like looking in a mirror at ourselves and then walking off and forgetting to do anything about what we see, thus deceiving ourselves. Words spoken in today's culture are much more powerful than even in James's day, and we've got a variety of outlets for our words, social media, 
what we write on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, blogs, emails, and many other media outlets are words gone mad. They really can be, can't they? Do we really think about what we are posting? What damage can be done by a word spoken in a social gathering? Have you ever heard yourself or someone else say something to someone else and have witnessed the extreme hurt in another's face as those words land? How do you respond when you feel that you've read something and wonder what the person is actually saying through those words? How often have you spoken out words of pain and tearing down about a person when they are not there to know what you are saying to someone else about them? We're all constantly in the presence of God who loves us and wants us to perfect his image in us. We will do this when we stand still long enough and let his spirit highlight through the mirror of his love and holiness the changes we need to undergo so that with his help and through self-control we can learn to govern the tongue or to tame the tongue in our life and witness. We all make mistakes and thank God there is forgiveness. This is also a serious point. We need to ask forgiveness if we've hurt anyone by our words or actions. I ask your forgiveness today if I've uttered any words or have hurt you or God's love in us. We are the body of Christ. We are the priesthood of all believers, one in God's kingdom. We in the church and those in the world use the same instrument, the tongue. James means here that we Christians attend church and quarrel socially. James is wanting to win his hearers over here and he wants to affirm pastorally and not to condemn. But he has such a fire in his heart to bring a unified approach to our Christian living. Worship in private or in public should demonstrate the very nature of God. A grapevine produces grapes, not figs. The tongue should produce blessings. If it produces cursing, then the person the tongue belongs to is of two parts, divided. Being heard for each one of us, I guess, is key to not speaking words that hurt. Being understood. Being aware that you are important and that your thoughts and opinions count. The other side of how to control who we are is forming good, open, genuine relationships where we sense sometimes that something is lurking in the shadows of our communication. And building unity means uh, getting a pulse read on each and every participant in our circles of friendship and fellowship, plus our working groups, our cell groups, our staff teams, our catering teams, our flower teams, etc., in your hearts, you can be open with each other and form deeper relationships. And a good question to ask will be, what is God doing in your life at this time? Listening will open up deeper conversation. And it may be that God will give you a pointer along the way. Nurture the relationship you find more difficult. 
Don't just spend time with the people you find easy. That's about growth, isn't it? It's about the love of God who loves each one of us and has set his image in each one of us. I was reading a book uh, the other day and I just thought, oh, this is beautiful. Um, just imagine and see the fact that God is surrounding the person that you are looking at and speaking to. And work with that image always. And if we nurture that sort of thought within us, we're going to be just seeing God doing really creative things, not just in their lives, but certainly in ours as well. Because we'll be seeing God in all and through all and in all. And that's where he is. Growing is about standing and looking in the mirror. And it may be you are difficult too. I'm difficult too. And if you don't look at how you are in a given situation or how you respond, then God, the, Sp the Holy Spirit, can't help us to grow. Bill Hybels would say this, in your conversations, give grace and not judgments. Pull out the umbrella of mercy. I love that. Just see an umbrella going up. The umbrella of mercy. And some of the greatest moments of relationship and unity, plus creative power for the church, have grown out of moments under the umbrella of mercy. God is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You go and do likewise. I just have a prayer to pray from this wonderful book, Encompassing God by David Adam. So let's pray.